0: Environmental conversations on creative art, scholarship, and teaching. This, this is EcoCast. Cast. Hello, and welcome to EcoCast, the official podcast of the Association for the Study of Literature and the Environment. I'm Gemma Deer. And I
1: am Brandon Gulm.
0: Today's guest is Jason Allen Pesson. Jason is a lecturer in Caribbean Poetry and Decolonial Thought at the University of Leeds in the United Kingdom. His academic research is on cultural memory in the African diaspora and he combines the different disciplinary and methodological approaches of theatre studies, performance studies, poetics and literary criticism. His creative writing, which includes poetry, memoir, and critical life writing, addresses issues of time, race, class, and the environmental conditions underpinning black identity. Jason completed bachelor's and master's degrees in French at the University of West Indies in Kingston, Jamaica, before pursuing his doctorate at the University of Oxford. As of September 2020, Jason will be the new director of the Institute for Colonial and Postcolonial Studies at the University of Leeds, and his first full-length book of poems will be published by Carsonet Press in the spring of 2021. Welcome, Jason, and thank you very much for coming onto the show.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're very, very excited to have you.
0: Okay, so let's get into root words. Uh, Today's root word is book. Um, This is a very old Anglo-Saxon word which has cognates in modern German, Swedish, Norwegian and Dutch. In contemporary usage, as I'm sure you don't need me to tell you, the word book most often refers to a paper-based object with a spine and leaves and printed text, although today it might just as often be a computer file, a PDF or ebook of some kind. The Oxford English Dictionary informs me that in early and historical use, the word book may refer to a literary work in portable form written on a wide variety of other materials, including vellum, parchment, papyrus, cotton, silk, palm leaves, bark, tablets of wood, ivory, slate or metal, and put together in any of a number of forms, as for example a scroll, or as separate leaves which may be hinged, strung, stitched or glued together. Now the root of the word and its etymology remains a matter of contention, but the OED suggests that the word book probably comes from the same Germanic base as the beech tree, It has been suggested that this origin could stem from the ancient practice of scratching runes onto strips of wood or from the use of wooden writing tablets. And the development from beech tree to book or from material for writing on to the text itself has other parallels. The word library comes from liber meaning bark and the Latin codex originally meant trunk of a tree. And nowadays, we also use the word paper to mean not just the material we are writing on, but also the text itself when we say I'm writing a paper. And so the relation between book and beach, writing and trees may have a very material origin. But there's also a long history of a symbolic linking between human thoughts and trees. A book, we say, has a spine and leaves as if it is a strange chimera that lives somewhere between a plant and a vertebrate animal. And there are also many mythic versions of trees as repositories of knowledge, from the tree of knowledge in the book of Genesis to the heart trees in Game of Thrones. And the branching parts of the neurons in our brains are called dendrites, which comes from the Greek word for tree. It's as if humans have been thinking with trees as long as they've been able to think. Now, one of Jason's poems that we will be hearing in today's episode is called Fallen Beach, which is what got me thinking about the links between the words beach and book but all of the poems that he'll share today features trees of some kind and just as the words book and beach entangle trees and human thoughts jason's poems i think do this too seeing trees not as just things to think about but as things to think with Um, Now, Jason, I hope that's not an unfair reading of the poems you're going to share with us Mm -hmm. today. Um, And so I wonder if you can start off by saying a little bit about how trees feature in your work and what it is that they mean to you.
2: Wow, that's a fascinating introduction, Gemma. (laughs) Uh, And it's so thought provoking. Well, I think it has a lot to do with how I grew up. And I spent the five first years of my life in a small rural village in central Jamaica, called, in a place called Manchester, Jamaica, a village called Coffee Grove, for anybody listening and who would know that place. it. My grandparents were farmers, um, so I grew up with trees all around me. I grew up going to the yam ground, the farm uh, with my grandmother who had retired from teaching at by that point and who was a farmer. And I I still remember, when I think about my childhood, I see myself walking down into a, a, a deep woodland with uh, cedar cedars all around and logwood all around and i think that landscape has entered my intellectual my imaginative dna i think also that there was a lot of silence in my childhood which is not to say that i wasn't a normal child at least i i think i was a normal child i i uh, <laughs> i um I played a lot with other children, but there there was something about that as i re- as I recognize it now, as I see it now, a very pristine um, childhood of of clean clean, wholesome nature. That was a kind of i was i felt protected i i i didn't feel protected at the time i feel i feel now that i i lived in a a kind of protected kingdom as a child and the the presence of these trees were i think beings beings that i that i dwelt among among i lived among. When I speak about silence, um, that's what I mean. I think I think there is something about living in a space like that, um, where you you're close to the, the the elements, you're close to nature, and it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a romanticized kind of I'm going into the woods because, like I said, my folks were farmers. They 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 lived off the land. That was a a, a functional that that was that was their existence um that was our existence i think you hear things more i think you learn to listen to to things actual things to listen to the world mm. and um and that's how how i describe my childhood and where i think my fascination with trees comes from now that I'm grown and I live in Leeds and I live near a, a a a a forest, I am renewing my connection with that. I am bringing to consciousness the importance of that to me. I feel that for a long time I have been estranged from that reality, and I also tried to paper it over, because it, to my mind, was not the kind of background that I wanted to have had, aspiring Mm. to a bourgeois kind of Mm. ideology and a bourgeois kind of lifestyle. It wasn't necessarily the cool kind of background that you wanted to talk about with your friends at school and at university um, and so on, but more I... Um grow and the more i i I realize um the challenges that we face currently in the world, the more I value that nurturing environment and so i i I think trees right now represent um an alternative space to me um uh a a space of connection with with the natural world and uh a refuge from the materialistic ultra consumerist culture in which i live Hmm. that's great yeah i so i'm uh i'm really struck by uh
1: this this idea of of silence and listening, uh, and it's something that I, I do want to return to in just a minute. Um, but I think f- uh, for now, let's let's hear a couple of your poems, if you wouldn't mind reading. Uh, so we're going to hear "Fallen Beach," and the other poem was "On the First Day of Autumn." So whenever you're ready.
2: Fallen Beach. The tree has fallen. It will probably take years, tens, hundreds to die. It will probably not die at all. We, by contrast, when air stops animating our bodies, it happens so suddenly, that is it. There seems to be no life after it. At least we cannot see, I mean, really see, we cannot see the form that we can take after that moment in the stark reality of cells. When we fall, when the air stops animating our limbs and we die, that is it. I mean, I know we're still there in reality when we go under. We too eventually turn into something else and return as spores, as wood, as stone. But the tree, oh, the tree, it keeps on so visibly so unendingly consider this beach its life already begins to multiply worms pollulate in the hairs of the roots the bark begins its slow transformation into diamonds and as for the limbs news of their death has not even reached them each root each cell each leaf each flow of sap running through it starts forming towers, new cities, us. We seep slowly into the cold, unbodying ourselves, but this beach already is reborn, gathering and amassing all this juice and all this joy in the sweet being of the earth. In this mountain of some millions of years to come, where the obsidian or some rock never before formed remembers that I too was here. On the first day of autumn, I give myself permission to go outside so nature can have a different look and a different sound, a different sound in the stream running over stones, a different look in the floor of yellow leaves of autumn just begun. I allow myself to listen, to have rest, in squirrels that run above my head. On the first day of autumn, I think about a tree uprooted and thrown down that has sent some of its roots back down into the ground, walking my mind in the dugout road of this tree in its bowl of rotting leaves. This is the farthest I have come to the edge of the world, a human walking on a tree, hanging my mind from the tussling odors of mulch, bark, and rain from a lattice work of limbs and roots exposed in a hanging grimace. This is the farthest I have come to the edge of the world, to the edge of the work of making the land home. So the land can have a different look and a different sound, not of angry dogs and knives, but the sound of my feet pressing down into the flesh of the leaves
1: yeah those were wonderful um so I, I just i have to say just this is a total aside but um <clears throat> some so i i've been working on a novel that, you know, just years and years and years and it's, it, will it ever be finished? But um, if it, if I ever get it published um, I would love this, uh, this line, each root, each cell, each leaf, each flow of sap running through, it starts forming towers, new cities, us. Um, I would love to use that as like a a, um, a, a quote at the, at the very, very beginning of it. Cause it just, it, it really, really um, just, it, uh, speaks a lot to what I'm trying to do in that, in that novel. And I just love, um, I love that line. Um, But back to, back to your, your work. Um, I, like I said, I I really want to return to this idea of, of silence and listening Um, because one of the first things that really struck me, uh, you know, we had, we had, you sent us these poems beforehand and, and so in reading through them um, was, (coughs) excuse me, the lack of punctuation, um, but also the one piece of, of punctuation that you do use on occasion is the question mark. And so I, I think I, I love this idea of listening because a question mark. Um, implies a conversation, right? It implies I'm asking you and then listening for that reply, as opposed to any other punctuation mark is just, it's a statement that I'm making in some way or another. Mm -hmm. Um, and then connecting that with, with, you know, this, these ideas and, and all of this, um, a different sound in the stream, um, can have a different look and a different sound. And and so just this idea of, of sound kind of connecting to the punctuation. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to, you know, returning to this idea of silence and, and maybe some of the choices mm-hmm. that you're making about um, who, who, who are you listening to? Who do you think we should be listening to? And, and how is your poetry
2: maybe speaking
1: to some of that stuff?
2: Thanks. That's a great quest- question. I think there's something about... <laughs> flow and the importance of flowing in these poems that almost automatically there is no question of me using classic um punctuation i feel that um and i'm not i'm not sure i'm going to do a good job of explaining why <laughs> The reason why I feel in my gut like it's just there, um, it was it was clear that I couldn't use full stops, it was clear that I couldn't use commas and and such such the like, um, but I think it has to do with um, I think it has to do with pauses and I think it has to do with um, kind of enactment like a visual enactment of hmm. listening okay if that makes sense yeah. like i wanted a visual a visual enactment a visual kind of performance of um of stops of almost this kind of walking that i'm doing this kind of ruminative um thinking that i'm that i'm talking about um Gemma talked about um, thinking with trees. So this, mm-hmm. there is this, and you spoke about this primordial um, instinct as human beings that we have, um, that we we choose to give into or not of thinking with the elements, of thinking with nature, nature being a part of us. And and so my poems are about that. Um, of how how do I represent? Um, it, Poetry as a as a stream of thought, really, um, and and so I use visual punctuation of spaces to indicate um, some some kind of moment, some kind of um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is an appropriate comparison, but in the Psalms, in the in the in the Hebrew, you know um Psalms and in the, in the Bible you have this thing called Silah, which I don't think nobody I, I'm I um I don't know if people actually know that's the right pronunciation, but it's written sila as a kind of stop and think. Um mm-hmm. and I I, I I don't know if, if if that is it but but um it does it does something for the voice I think as well um this, this this use of space, I think it has to do with with yeah, that's the best way I can describe it yeah it's it's almost yeah.
1: forcing the reader to slow down, yeah uh, because if the punctuation's already there, we're familiar with that, and we know what those indicate, um. Mm-hmm but having those those moments where you're you're yeah. playing with the space it's okay what am i supposed to be doing here and so the reader mm-hmm. has to take their time um and and consideration and i think that's that's you know thinking about mm. nature as well right we should be spending time with it we should be taking time not rushing through things
2: yes
0: i want to um bring out uh, a little bit about the kind of um sensual or like embodied nature of the poem so when you were reading them it really kind of struck me how there are a lot of terms that are kind of used to describe the bodies of the of the trees and the plants that are also kind of words for human bodies so you talk about the the hairs of the roots um and the limbs of the tree you talk about um embodying ourselves um and then feet pressing down into the flesh of the mm. leaves um a lattice work of limbs and and roots exposed in a hanging grimace so and you know mm. there's almost this kind of face in the in these exposed roots and so yeah it really kind of struck me that there was um there was this kind of uh Linking between the, the physical body of, of the, the human and the other things that are around. And I just wondered if you can kind of talk a little bit, um, about that. And like, I mean, maybe kind of bringing it into this sort of notion of decay that comes into, into the Mm -hmm. poetry is like, but what, what's, what are your like thoughts about the, the physicality that you kind of describe in these poems?
2: Yes, it's almost as if there's a, a melting of the difference between the the human and the the tree and the and the mineral and the rock and this and this sort of thing. Um, that conceptual difference between human being, as opposed to as opposed to tree, as opposed to hummus, as opposed to mm, What is it, moss, and and all these things is problematized and uh, brought into question. Um, What interests me is, first of all, process, as you can tell, the composition and decomposition of elements. The fact is that we can't always see all the if the events and the, the the things that go into the different processes that make us that 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 work to keep us alive. Um, we live in ecologies that are working. I, th- I I like to think of it like that. They are working to keep us alive, but we are unaware of them, or we take them for granted. But these processes are constantly happening, and ever so often we are privileged to. To have a a deep sensation of of process we look at a a tree that has fallen and we see it decomposing we see roots decomposing, but we also get that sense in that moment that same moment of time of decomposition we get a sense of new life coming into being at the same time in a sense that the the two processes are organic to each other um, and I, this, the poem Fallen Beach is certainly, has that as its center of gravity, how much are the things in the forest, how much are, is the forest, how much are the trees a part of us, and how much conversely we are a part of the trees. The observation of process is important to me as a a political act in a context where, as I say, I'm reclaiming time. I'm working on an essay um, by that, under that title, Reclaiming Time. What do I mean by that? Uh, I'm talking about Blackness as a phenomenon and, and the social conditions underpinning blackness. And I realized that, um, very often, um, with, with, with racism, uh, one is often reacting, uh, once, one spends one's, one's time reacting to things and events. One, one, you know, you're reacting to, hurt You're reacting to anger to, um, to, to provocation and to exclusion and these sorts of things. Um, and I realize that uh, it's a, a theft of time. It's a, it's a robbery mm. of the connection that we are meant to have as humans with real life. Mm. actual yeah. life
0: that reminds me a little bit of um the the kind of double meaning of the like very cliched phrase take your time so like take your time is always used to mean you know go leisurely take as long as you need but like actually literally take your time take it it's yours yes. like yes.
1: yeah
0: make use of it um so Absolutely. yeah that's yeah
1: yeah and i am really struck too um there, there's i think there's a lot of, actually a lot of overlap with what you were just talking with there um and you know with between these two poems um thinking about you know really long time scales and and kind of the short time scale of being in that moment of walking through the forest and stuff um but there's some overlaps there with with uh, some of the work I did on my dissertation and um, thinking about um, how how humans experience um, time and and um I have this idea called the pantemporal convergent event which is this, mm. I was doing post Katrina literature and and how these are replicating that in this this storm um right it's a it's explosively violent in the moment um but it's also the result of this long term process that of, of climate change that we're not really noticing or experiencing on a, on a daily basis um but similarly there was these kind of social um upheavals and re, and and awakenings that came in the wake of Katrina that were were opened to a lot of people i mean obviously the people in new orleans were were experiencing those on a daily basis but mm. For the rest of the world, this storm kind of revealed that, um, you know, thinking about these these, um, like you said, that um, typically when we have when we think about uh, uh, you know racism and things like that, we're thinking about um, riots and and kind of these real strong upheavals that are happening, but not all of the really long, slow process um, that's happening constantly behind the scenes of people fighting and fighting and fighting, um, Absolutely. that we only recognize it in those explosive moments.
2: Absolutely. I find myself thinking uh, about the long timescales of work and exclusion from leisure in black in blackness so that includes slavery that includes uh a belgian monarch who takes uh, a land almost 80 times the size of belgium as his personal ex- estate estate um, that just includes the the structures and the social imaginaries that um constrict black populations and black people as as the workers um and and just socioeconomic conditions that div- um rob people of what uh, middle class people call leisure mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh what 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 do we what do we lose by by being in a cap by living in a capitalist imaginary? What do we li- what do we uh, what and a, a capitalist social imaginary? Both in you know in every sense, what do we lose in terms of uh, mental and physical well-being? Um, mm. Obviously, that's a it's it's a long it's an age-old question. It's a long question and. Um, a lot of people have responded to that question, but I'm responding to it through the lens of poetry because I think poetry is a way of reclaiming time. It's a way of reasserting um, one's uh, connection with with the world. Um, it's uh, another space. Um, it's uh, a, a different relationship to time. Um, My personal history as well uh, brings me to that political stance of reclaiming time. Um, What does it mean for me now to be a bourgeois, kind of like, um, (laughs) um, what's the term? Access some kind of lifestyle where I'm able to live um in a park near a park um what 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 does that mean um in the long longer trajectory of my life when um in uh, where earlier i didn't feel that i had a right to take my time to to be able to to slow down i felt like um i lived in a a social imaginary where my folks were just not the kind of people who had access to leisure. Leisure was something that belonged to white middle class folks or middle class folks. Um, so I think the um, intersection of poetry of um, of time and nature is an interesting one that I'm that I'm digging. Um, I'm exploring. More and more, and um, these poems are the fruit of that.
0: Mm. Well, I think that that answer and everything you've just been talking about serves as a really good introduction to your next poem. Um, So perhaps I can get you to read now "Walking with the Word Tree," um, and then we'll talk about that one a little bit.
2: "Walking with the Word Tree." To have money is to have time. To have time is to have the forests and the trees. I look at my baby, mind-sliding in the sticky film of the bud, rubbing her thoughts between fingers, and knowing the purple lips of the involucras in her mouth. And me, am I living my childhood all over again? For her, a wood will not be burnt for fire coal, where the pig pen is, where you hide from your mama where you escape from scolding and rolling eyes, where the duppies live, where the madman lives, where wild animals, stray dogs and the unwanted go to die. And me, am I living my childhood all over again? A child's way of pinching flowers, a child's way of touching buds, but what I had never known, this way of listening to the forest. Did Daisy, Miss Patsy's 11th child and my playmate, even though her name was a flower. Emporous life was unpastoral. The woodland was there, not for living in, going for walks or thinking. Trees were answers to our needs, not objects of desire, wood fire. Catch butterflies along the way to grandmother on the other side of the yam field. Just don't do something foolish, like lose the money. Or take too long so the pot don't cook before daddy reach home. There's a way of paying attention to plants. A way of listening to trees. A way to hold a flower in your hand. Now that I'm here in a park in England. And I stop when called by the pistils of a tree. There is something in the pink that speaks so clearly to me, saying, Glad you stopped. I saw you from far away. I don't even know what they call it, but I want to know what it tells me about itself, its appearance with thousands of others on this tree that up to April seemed like death. Our parents and grandparents planted yams, potato slips, reaped tomatoes, carrots and so on, then market, then money, then food, then clothes, then shoes to go to school now i'm practicing a different way of being with the woods only i try not to stray too far from the path the daisies glitter at my feet yeah
1: that's again i mean i think this one really uh, again speaks to a lot of the stuff that we've already been talking about Mm. um especially that that idea of um you know listening and them actually speaking back to you and and hearing um, you know you don't want to know what they call it, but what it tells me about itself and this idea of speaking and listening mm. um and something else that that really struck me about this one um it, it reminded me a lot of um uh melvin Dex- dixon's uh uh work right out the wilderness where he talks about this um this kind of pull and and um almost uh cognitive dissonance that um a lot uh, historically a lot of uh people of color have with the wilderness as as both Mm -hmm. a place of uh escape but also a place of violence and 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 so obviously you're you're not really speaking about violence but just this kind of disconnect between um, what nature can mean for different people and Mm -hmm. um you know and maybe even the evolution of that you know for the for the you know the speaker in this poem and how it it meant one thing before and now trying to figure out what uh what is nature going to mean um as we move into the as i move into the future and things like that
2: yes absolutely yeah there's a lot to unpack there cognitive dissonance yes because there is a section of the poet the poem that's kind of s- I don't know if how much people pick up on that, but it's gesturing to, what are these words anyway? (laughs) (laughs) It's this kind of uncertainty in an aspect of the poem. Um, I I, I also think of the line that says, I try not to, to stray too far from the path um so there is that 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 unease that underlying kind of awareness of a different narrative as well you know certain certain narratives, certain texts you know in um inscribed on on these spaces and on bodies um black, black bodies in the woods um and in any kind of veiled hidden place really um i think of fred morton talking about the outdoors when he says you know the woodland and the black imaginary is kind of associated with the constant need for running away and flight right Mm -hmm. whereas um whereas the city is imagined as the place of relative safety relative of obviously being um the uh the, the key word there but um yeah. Um, poetry is magic. Poetry is magic. And um, <laughs> it's, 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 that's, that's a key word for me, magic. Um, because I think that's, that magic is what happens between you and uh, the elements. Uh, there's a kind of different mode of thinking that comes from connection. Mm-hmm. And that's magic. And that's why I'm so interested in animism because animism animist thinking has to do with how different things think and as rambo says you are thought you know i am thought you know i i don't think he has this famous line that he says um um if i can remember it um i is another i is another you know this kind of it's 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 that kind of thing for me like what what is it just, just being in the woods changes your your idea of what it is just to be a human being. You know, just to be a mm-hmm. like a thinking subject. So yeah, that that's that is liberatory in all sorts of ways for me. Magic.
0: <laughs> mm, and yeah. yeah, so kind of to to um, build on this this theme of animism, which I guess kind of comes through in this poem when. You feel that the the uh, pistols of the tree are speaking to you in some way and that, you know, it's telling you something about it itself. And so there's this kind of sense of, um, of non-linguistic communication. Um, so I wonder if you can kind of talk about that a little bit and then... And then um, you also have this a forthcoming article on on animist time, so perhaps you can kind of uh, link into that and your and your broader thinking of animism in your in your critical work.
2: Absolutely, the idea that I have uh, or have been exploring is this idea of that that. Things, what we call objects—I use that word guardedly—have a spirit, have an animacy uh, Mm -hmm. of of their own. Whatever you want to, whatever word you want to put on that animacy, (coughs) be it soul, spirit, whatever you want. But animists do believe that that um, the world is endowed with with spirit. and um, not in a religious sense, you know, just just things have 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 a spirit, and they communicate, um, and that is key to my poetry, um, because it's key to my thinking. I therefore, in this particular poem, I'm trying to connect. I'm trying to connect with the spirit of things. Um, I'm trying to to see what. To, to kind of listen to what things can tell me uh, I'm trying to be as concrete about this as possible um, I, I really believe that we can we can receive energy from things that human, um all all things contain energy and um nature is imbued um imbued with energy and we communicate that amongst ourselves and so what does that what does that look like if we give into that aspect of our being rather than the aspect of our being that is trying to make money um to you know this bourgeois kind of i um ideology that i was thinking about you know where life is about um working to get money so we can buy stuff you know that that's the kind of familiar um <laughs> paradigm of life that we're <laughs> familiar with but but what is what is it to be connect actually being in the real you know realness um I think that is, as a civilization, we have lost our connection with realness. Actually, um, and that is something that I, uh, I, I emphasize, or, or I'm exploring in my creative practice and in my research. My critical writing, my critical writing is also examining time, as you have said. Um, and looking at how um, capitalist uh, the capitalist um, superstructure has, um, um, how should I put it, um, appropriated temporalities. Okay, so um, by appropriate appropriating temporality, I mean uh, it ch- actively erases the knowledge systems and the thinking systems of vast populations that it conquers um, and dominates um, and uh, uh, extracts from. Mm. Do you know
0: um, Jay Griffith's book, uh, Pip Pip, A Sideways Look at Time?
2: Mm. I don't know about it, but it sounds interesting.
0: Yeah so she she kind of um she looks at this kind of development from a natural time that was you know governed by the uh the lights in the sky and you know the rhythms of the moon and you know this kind of connect- and and the seasons so you know people would eat seasonal food and then she looks at all the ways in which kind of capitalism has like enforced this mm. um you know clock time work time. So like, you know, the time that you're getting paid for, Mm -hmm. um, and also like with, you know, kind of year round produce in, in supermarkets that we kind of lose connection with the seasonality because you can always have strawberries. Yeah.
2: So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, Yeah. that might be something interesting to look at. Absolutely.
2: There's
1: another work too. I can't remember who it is now. Um, but they, they talk about something similar in terms of how, um, right that are we have this kind of biological like my stomach's growling a little bit okay it must Mm -hmm. be lunchtime but then like we have this very ordered no you're gonna you have to wait until 12 o'clock between 12 and 1 is your lunchtime when you're in the Mm -hmm. you know like nine to five Mm -hmm. job or kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and so we have these kind of of again this kind of competing uh experience between but, but i'm hungry right now but my my capitalist job tells me I have to wait until yeah. Yeah. a particular time to eat.
2: Yeah, because the capitalist imaginary says time is money. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the that's the ruling metaphor. That's the kind of uh, metaphor that structures uh, <laughs> um, our economy, really. Um, and um, and there you go. Um, so. My, my, my article is entitled Animist, Animist Time and the White Anthropocene because I'm looking at two things. I'm looking at that that I've just mentioned, that we all know that how um, we can tell a lot about um, how capitalist imaginaries run our lives and kind of... Um, constrict the, the horizon of the possible by just by examining temporality, its views of temporality. But also we can tell a lot about it by examining the strategies that populations have used to fight back against that imaginary. So that dwelling with, um, you know, in practices, you know, in indigenous um, spirit practices, which are knowledge practices, um such as Haitian Vodou, that i've done quite a bit of um research on in recent times um they they it's they, what they do is a kind of insurgency in pushing back in rejecting that structure uh and 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 that conception of 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 temporality by living outside of it so, you know constructing an existence that sort of exists in a kind of parallel Um, alternative world to that despite the material predations you know despite the material impacts in terms of environmental catastrophes and so on there has been a struggle and that struggle I try to chart in my work that basically just saying look um, there are populations actually living in alternative temporalities to the to the capitalist system, and that's the way uh, that's the means through which they've actually survived up to now, and um, the Anthropocene obviously um, connects into that by looking at diachronically, and and and, and as Catherine Yusuf says, that the idea of the Anthropocene masks over the idea that white settler colonialism's have been ending worlds for centuries um mm. even though the anthropocene has become finally an object for thought in the white western mm. in the white western world <laughs> so that so that that's that's it yeah
1: Right, uh, so I, I, you know, I think it is time for us to to get on with the less end on a roll. But I think this is also a a, a good time. I don't know if if Gemma was too shy to do it, but um, you know, with all this talk of animism, to 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 replug her book uh, Radical Animism. That if you're interested in animism, everyone, you should you should make sure you check Absolutely. out the book. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to um, reading it. Just, just- Another, another, another little shout out there. Thanks, Brandon. I was trying to
0: be (laughs) humble and not just, you know, try and promote my book on the episode. But, but yeah, um, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I have my, it's my first book coming out. It's called Radical Animism, Reading for the End of the World, and kind of thinks about, uh, animism in relation, in relation to climate change and literature. Um, so yeah, Okay, let's end, right, a roll. So let's end on a
1: roll. Let's end on a roll. Um so I've got a 12-sided die here. I'm going to roll that and we'll an- you'll have to answer whichever question comes up on the die roll. So all right. This time is Ooh, all right. Hey, we got a new number. Uh number 3. What are you reading right now or have you read recently that's really kind of s- stuck with you and you would you would recommend Ooh. for people to check out?
2: Uh I'm read I've just finished reading this book called Stay With Me by Ayobami Adebayo Nigerian writer absolutely stunning uh amazing storyteller I've one of the most I devoured it <laughs> <laughs> Nice yeah
0: Awesome We'll look it up. Okay, well, thank you so much, Jason. It's been really wonderful to have you on. Um, yes, definitely. Where can our listeners find your poetry? Where can they find more about you? Um, yeah, where, where should you send them?
2: Oh, yeah, I've got um, some poems. By the time this is out, uh, there'll be some of my work in Granta, published in both the print issue and the online um, their online platform um i have work in pn review that's about these issues um i have an essay that'll be in pre n review as well called reclaiming time um hopefully by this is out by time this is out but um, i have work in kalalu um the journal um yeah th- those are a few places i have um a number of poems in Karkinet's anthology called New is Number Eight. Uh there. Those are just a few a right. few places. And your yeah.
0: book is your book is out in 2021?
2: Do you have My a book will be day? out in the first six months of 2021, I can confirm. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I haven't got a fixed date yet. But definitely in the first half of 2021, my book will be out. So definitely okay. look out look look for that.
0: And do you have um a Twitter or a personal website? i think that people yeah can find my you. my
2: twitter is jalen payson J A L L J A L L E N P A I S A N T. basically my my name um mm-hmm. that's my tweet at jalenent great yeah well
0: thank
2: awesome. you
0: thank you so much again this has been wonderful
2: yeah it was it was really hard to,
1: to stop the conversation today that's for sure
2: yeah i mean um. i really enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> and thanks again for having me Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: And thank you everyone for listening and tuning in to another episode of Asley Ecocast. If you have an idea for an episode, someone you want us to reach out to, or you yourself have an idea that you want to uh, include on one of our episodes, you can email us at asley.ecocast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at asley underscore ecocast. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye.